A special thanks to AMSA partner Walters Kluwer for supporting AMSA AdLib. To find out how you can save big on products through Walters Kluwer and their discounts on Lippincott resources, visit amsa.org WK. Before we get started, whether this is your first episode of AMSA AdLib or your 40th, we need to know what you'd like to be hearing, and you could pick up one of our $100 Amazon gift cards along the way. Please take our brief survey. You can find a link to it at amsa.org slash adlibsurvey. If you don't know the community you'll be practicing in, you won't be able to serve your patients as effectively as possible. So what is the link between community and healthcare, and why does it matter? Welcome to AMSA AdLib. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. Here to help us understand the link is Dr. Jay Bott. Dr. Bott is many things, primary care physician, National Health Service Corps scholar, he teaches med students, residents, and dancers. He's the chief health officer at the Illinois Hospital Association and a former president of the American Medical Student Association. Here's Dr. Bott speaking with AdLib's Pete Thompson. Hi, my name's Jay Bott, uh, former AMSA president, 2006-2007. I'm a primary care doc at uh, Erie Family Health Center, which is a federally qualified community health center. Uh, I teach students and residents there, uh, as well as at Northwestern. And I also uh, spend my time as chief health officer of the Illinois Hospital Association, uh, and I teach dance weekly, uh, predominantly Bhangra and hip-hop. And um, you can find me on Twitter at Bunger J. So you can practice yeah. an FQHC. So I still see patients, and it's it's great because I think the issues that I see happening to patients clinically and in their lives helps me think about you know what do we need to do to move healthcare forward for the state of Illinois and and be a model for the nation. Um, and I'm a National Health Service Corps scholar, which you know many AMSA members have thought about, and uh, previous AMSA members and leaders have done, and so I'm repaying my service obligation uh, as well through that. Can you tell us a little bit about the experience of practicing in, in FQHC? Yeah, so Erie Family Health uh, is a progressive uh, community health center. It started as a free clinic uh, in uh, mid-century and um, has evolved to now having nine different sites, and I practice at one of their, mo- their, one of their newest sites on the northwest side of, of Chicago, uh, it's got a family medicine teaching health center residency as well as an internal medicine teaching health center residency in, in partnership with a, a Swedish Covenant Hospital, which is right across the street. And uh, I uh, have a couple sessions where I precept and a couple sessions where I see my own patients. And, and predominantly Medicaid, uninsured, undocumented, some Medicare and some a um, little bit of commercial insurance. But, you know, they're struggling uh, and in a lot of different ways. But They've also gotten an influx of new patients because of the Affordable Care Act uh, and Medicaid expansion in Illinois. So uh, it's really connecting people to care that they didn't have before. So often you're seeing patients who have come to that doctor for the first time and um, have a whole host of concerns or challenges. And you know, I spend sometimes half of my time uh, in a day with patients working through some of their social, economic, and environmental challenges, uh, as well as helping them think through uh, behavioral health challenges and and get better at managing some of that as well as their stress and um some some of them are taking three buses to get to the clinic uh so forth 
is there are there any ways or or do you know whether the experience is in any way similar to sort of a conventional say family practice or not uh, FQHC type setting? I mean, what what are the similarities? Yeah, I would say that you know the the vision is for FQHCs to be thought of as high quality, affordable healthcare for all, uh, and that where you come from or who you are, or, you know what uh, ethnicity you are. Or, what challenge you may face uh, doesn't create judgment for other other people or doesn't put you in a position where you don't get the best care possible. Um, so, you know, I think that traditionally it's been a place where the poor come, uh, but it's also been a place where young families come uh, and young mothers and kids and um, folks come for their annual physicals. So it continues, you know, to be that. But uh, it's also evolved to a place where it's delivering high-quality care. Uh, in a lot of places, when some of these FQHCs are ranking in, you know, the highest tiers of quality indicators uh, in outpatient medicine across the country. Uh, yet, uh, you know, it's, um, I think, how you think about a patient or deliver care isn't necessarily different, but you may ask other questions that you might not ask in a you know, private practice uh, uh, in a certain part of a community. We know, you know, a lot about how place matters, uh, and that your where you come from or where you live has implications for your health. You know, sometimes I'll ask my patients about their house, working environment, their housing environment, how much, how many buses they took to get there because. It gives you a sense of their challenges, but also about the exposure to air pollution and um, what the air quality is like, and has implications for headaches or allergies or asthma or whole sorts of other things. So you can avoid inappropriate, unnecessary testing and interventions and suffering if you can sort of get at some of the root causes of of uh, symptoms and illness. Mm-hmm. What um, do, do do a lot of the patient populations come from sort of an immediate ge- geographic area, or is there? Yeah, most of them are from that part of uh, town. So most of the patients, I it's probably eighty percent are uh, uh, Latino, uh, and so I speak Spanish um, to many of them. Um, and if not, we have full interpreter services available uh, via phone. But they'll come from different parts of. The city, if they're plugged into a different clinic and for whatever reason they, there isn't an appointment at the other site or they're closer to this particular site that I'm at. Um, but there are only a few of the sites that are teaching health centers, which distinguishes you know, this particular site I'm at, I'm at um, where we're, you know, residents uh, are very much involved in delivering care uh, in partnership with the attendings. And the teaching health center is sort of being in those kind of settings. It's real. Is that relatively new? Yeah. So it's over probably several years old, and, and uh, an outgrowth of the Affordable Care Act and the investment in community health centers and new approaches to address some of the sh- primary care shortage uh, and, and rethinking graduate medical education. Mm-hmm. Has that been? What are you? How yeah, I think it's great. I think it exposes you know trainees to. Uh, environments and and experiences that they may get really excited about, but also to what really happens in um, different urban communities, rural communities, uh, and and exposes them to, I think, different ways of approaching um, clinical issues and and 
patient challenges and you work with, I think, you know, what I found really helpful too is working and learning from a care team that includes uh, pharmacists, a social worker, case manager, behavioral health is right down the hall. So when I have a patient, when I, I think that depression, stress, poverty, unemployment, um, other behavioral health issues are challenges, I walk down the hall and talk to my colleague who's our behavioral health consultant. He comes in and we you know, talk to the patient together and then it sends up, sets up a follow-up time. Because what we found is people weren't necessarily following up on referrals because it's another trip. It's They don't feel and they have a relationship. It's a barrier. Um, so that's been really great to work along with the medical assistants and part of this sort of interprofessional team, which is, I think, what, you know, to improve the health of our communities is what we need. Uh, and partnering with the health department. So before I moved to the hospital association, I was uh, managing deputy commissioner and chief innovation officer at the Chicago Department of Public Health. And we're thinking a lot about clinical community linkages mm. uh, and thinking about who are the stakeholders that we can work with to improve health upstream. Mm. Do you find that there are uh, challenges, not so much in the on the sort of patient end of, of working in that scene so much as, I mean, there are so many different bodies and organizations that are involved in running. In, well, I guess, I mean, maybe that's true of, of a of a private, sort of a private yeah. healthcare model, too, in that, you know, there's so many different stakeholders and people's different fingers in the pie and stuff like that. Is that, is that a challenge? Of any sort? I, mean, I think it depends on how care is organized and delivered. And so, for example, Kaiser is a, a great example of a really into, integrated delivery system that, you know, you're a Kaiser health plan, you go to Kaiser providers and so they got across the network but not all places are integrated like that uh, and so you'll have some fragmentation of where people can go to based on their their coverage potentially or where they can't uh, and then how do you you know how do they how do the patients navigate the challenging construct of different payers and health plans in Illinois there's uh, a lot of Medicaid managed care emerging uh, and everyone's getting um, sort of bucketed in one of the manage, Medicaid managed care plans, and they have Medicaid ACOs there. And so how do people pick which ones they are able to uh, get into and understand that they get the best value for and what works for them? Is, is that is that a newer concept in terms of the... Yeah, so some states are, are uh, taking the accountable care uh, concept from Medicare and applying it to Medicaid, uh, and so you know, payers are managing a group of uh, individuals, or these independent entities are managing them. And so hospitals will partner with cl- with community health centers, with post-acute rehab facilities, um, with other hospitals, and kind of say we're responsible for this attributable population. And if we keep them healthy and help them manage their chronic disease, then keep them out of the emergency room and re- and reduce readmissions. Then they're going to be healthy and there'll be savings there that they can share to grow their services or reinvest. And is that, uh, is the understanding that you just, you know, explained that really smoothly. Is that kind of level of understanding something that comes from your sort of practice or is that more from your experiences working with the city, working with uh, hospital association, et cetera? Yeah, I think it's a combination. So I think understanding sort of the f- policy framework and the uh, and, and what it's intended to do comes from my work at the health department, the association, and, and what hospitals, you know, the different ways that hospitals are thinking about how to deliver care. Uh, and then the operational parts of it, both the benefits and the challenges I see when I did deliver care to my patients who are part of those 
accountable care organizations. Um, and I, you know, I, there's also the development of care coordination entities uh, to help people manage care across different uh, providers and, con- and across the continuum. Um, but uh, they're requiring that we um, organize care in particular ways and engage with the health information exchange, uh, which is not some capacity that all the systems or partners have, so you have to build new infrastructure. And the other really interesting conversation that's happening now in hospitals uh, is around bed capacity and bed, alloca- bed allocation. So before we were you know, really investing in building infrastructure and capital projects uh, within the health system or hospital campus. But now it's about, well, how do we partner with the community stakeholders to think about care outside the four walls of a hospital? And then, then how do we reallocate beds to what the community needs are as opposed to saying, all right, we'll need you know, another cardiac tower. Um, because the revenue and payment models, the payment models are shifting so that they're shifting towards value-based care, uh, right? Meaning that for a population, you have to deliver on certain outcomes and that you're not going to be paid on a fee-for-service. So the hip and knee uh, reimbursement pilots that are happening now are great examples of, you know, from the time of pre-op through 90 days post-op that the, the cost and the care of that continuum is responsible, is going to be held accountable to the provider, the group of providers taking care of that patient along that continuum. Um, so the, the payment won't be for just the actual pre, pre-op and the surgical and the post-op that happens in the hospital, but it'll also include the rehab and the outpatient follow-up that occurs after surgery. When I was a, um, a college student, I went in wanting to be a cardiologist because my uncle was one and I loved the heart and was fascinated. I walked into a barbershop my sophomore year of college and met black men time after time again who were struggling with health and they weren't accessing care. That was down the street at University of Chicago. And uh, some docs started something called Project Brotherhood, which is putting a clinic in the back end of that barbershop. And so I got involved with that a little uh, and it they were the, they were educating the barbers that they were educating these black men and said if you want your hair cut for free you have to be seen by the doctor and so over five years the rates of chronic disease started declining they were engaging in primary care and prevention they were making better decisions about their health uh, and their community changed and they started educating their neighbors and, and wives and families and then they helped each other get jobs and get prepared for interviews um, so it really was a brotherhood and uh it, t- it told me two things. One, that doctor in underserved communities is a vehicle for social change is, is what I wanted to do. And two, uh, that empowering communities to change their future is also a, something I wanted to do. And so coming back to work for uh, the Chicago Department of Public Health uh, allowed me to do that, to empower our, our city to change its future. And working for Erie Family Health is doctor in underserved communities as a vehicle for social change. So I really was grateful. And that wouldn't have happened had I not been exposed to the people, the ideas, uh, and the experiences uh, that I was uh, fortunate to be part of uh, in my time with uh, AMSA. AMSA AdLib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. This episode was produced by Pete Thompson and myself with help from Sandy Friday. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer 
and Dr. Deborah Hall is AMSA's national president. We hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you for listening. A special thanks to AMSA partner Walters Kluwer for supporting AMSA AdLib. To find out how you can save big on products through Walters Kluwer and their discounts on Lipicot resources, visit amsa.org slash WK.